Welcome to Happy Path Programming. I'm Bruce Eckle. I'm James Ward. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. And today we have with us Alina, who I know uh, I, I've never actually met you in person, but but I've seen you. Well, I, actually, you think that we met in person at a conference in Ukraine, which is totally possible, right? You just I don't remember being think, in Ukraine. Yeah, I think it is, though. I tried to Google that conference uh, like along with your name and I cannot find it. So maybe yeah. I am mistaken after all. And you are right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I have presented for uh, Ukrainian-based um, conferences or events, but I don't think I've ever traveled there. Okay, so, I might be wrong, but I will, but I really I will, want I will do my I really research offline. Go, so. you, <laughs> maybe you you've come. seen the future, and now now I need to uh, to to go there for a conference. So. Yeah, it's really great in here, and we have such huge and great developer communities. So, yeah, please come at some point. I'm sure you will love it here. Yes. Okay, so we um, we had you on to talk about a few things, but we have talked about GraalVM on a number of, of episodes, and you're one of the experts, developer advocates, right, for GraalVM. And so so instead of talking, continuing to talk on our podcast about something we know very little about, we've used it, but I think... You've don't, used it. Yeah. Uh, we I've wanted watched. To, to learn about GraalVM. So, but tell us about yourself. What do you, what do, you do? And, and um, yeah. Yeah, so at the moment, I'm a developer advocate for GraalVM at Oracle Labs, right? Oracle Labs is this kind of R&D organization at Oracle. Originally, as I know, it used to be Sun Microsystem Labs, right? And back then, when Oracle acquired Sun, it became kind of Oracle Labs, right? And GraalVM is one of our projects. It has been a research project for quite a long time. And then something like three years ago, we rolled out our first kind of industry-ready, production-ready builds, right? And also that's about the time that I joined the team. So something like three years ago. And I'm doing developer advocacy in this team. And yeah, I'm based in Ukraine, in the beautiful city of Lviv. So that's about it about me. Nice. Awesome. So give us us like the 101 information on GraalVM for for those that may not be familiar with it. Like, first of all, what problem is it solving? That's a good question. That's a good question. And it's not so easy to answer because GraalVM is a big, complex project, right? And it can answer to so many, you know, developer needs and problems. But let me kind of start with the very beginning, right? So GraalVM is a high-performance virtual machine, and it can execute a number of languages and work in a number of environments. So I remember when I was about to join the team and I was doing kind of my research about the project, I really liked that kind of mission statement that the team had. And I think it was something like we want to make every language out there fast, right? So they wanted to create a universal virtual machine, meaning that not only like one language or a narrow set of languages can be fast, but actually every language out there could be made fast with those ready-to-use solutions and the platform that CrawlVM offers. And I thought that that vision and that mission is pretty amazing, right? Because there are so many languages out there, and to some extent, they re-implement the same components or the same pieces of technology, right? And maybe that there could be a more efficient way to do it, or maybe even, you know, smaller languages. So something just developed by a group of enthusiasts can also get access to this high-performance platform with considerably less effort than they would 
if they would implement it from the ground up, right? So I think it was a pretty great mission and vision for the project. And I think it is true at this time, right? So at the moment, we have so many languages that our core team developed on Grow VM, but also there are quite a few that the community developed. We have some of them listed on our GitHub repo, and I'm sure that there are way more languages that people just kind of develop out there and use CrawlVM as a platform that we don't know of. But we do give them this kind of platform where they can develop those new languages. So it's a virtual machine. Yes. But um, the experience of the end user is that it just is an executable, which includes everything, including the program. Is that right? Am I right? think that's so maybe, the native image part that's of it, the which we'll get image. into. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So okay. Maybe I started from the more uh, complex side of things because it was more, more exciting for me, but uh, I was talking <laughs> we, about our language. Our experience <laughs> with GraalVM has been through native image. And so, okay. so there's a that's whole other side of GraalVM. So um, what, it, I mean, but are we, are we talking about um, like, What's the assembly language of this virtual machine? Is it just JVM? Is that that's that's what it is? It's a JVM. Yeah, let, let me maybe reiterate from the like user perspective, right? Because I started talking about language implementers and maybe unnecessarily complicated things, right? So you don't necessarily have to implement your own language on GraalVM, right? You can just use what use what is there offered for you in the base download, right? And what there is, is one thing you can run your Java programs as you would, let's say, on OpenJDK, right? So there is the, this whole ready-to-use JDK distribution that comes with GraalVM. That is one part, right? So GraalVM JIT, where we just replace the compiler and you use JDK as you would use any other JDK. So that's one piece of technology, right? It's, in that case, does it use Truffle? So not necessarily, right? You can just use Java straight, just based on those two levels, right? So you would have like OpenJDK or Oracle JDK as a platform and GraalVM as a compiler plugged into it. And you don't need necessarily Truffle in that case. You can just execute Java with those two. Okay. You, you could though, like again, complicating things, you could though use Truffle to execute Java as well, because now we also have a Java implementation based on Truffle, right? So like one more, I think third already way to execute Java on GraalVM. But that is not necessarily right. This is something you can do. You can but choose. Also, yeah, yeah. Either, but also you in can the just... case of Java, you can choose Truffle or or uh, is that still I mean, hot in, spot in that case? In case of Java, like basically you can use GraalVM JIT, the compiler. You can use native image and you can use Java on Truffle. So basically mm -hmm. there are three ways of running Java on GraalVM, right? But just to kind of finish that thought, right? So what, uh, what comes in GraalVM and what you can see and use as an end user. So GraalVM JIT, right? Execute Java as you normally do on any other JDK. Native image where you would ahead of time compile Java into a platform specific binary. There is Truffle, right? So the language implementation framework, or, and you can use one of those languages such as JavaScript and Python and R, Ruby and so on that you implemented as a team, or you can implement your own languages on GraalVM. And there are also like some tools and additional capabilities for you, but in a nutshell, those are the main components. Cool. Would you yeah. tell us a little more about Truffle? Because I, I mentioned it, but then realized I didn't say what Truffle was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Truffle is our language implementation framework, right? This is the way we implement languages as a team, and this is the way community implements those community languages. And it allows you to fairly easily implement languages on the GraalVM platform. So in a way, what do you do? You... Uh, implement an interpreter for your language in Java, and then using Truffle and using GraalVM as a compiler, you get 
kind of out of the box implementation for your language. So you can run it on Graal VM. And so it's and quite interesting. Is, yeah. They've they've already written the the Ruby, the Python, the JavaScript, the R uh, language packs or whatever they're called to run those languages on Truffle or through Truffle or however. Yeah, works. yeah, yeah, that's correct. And I was actually thinking about this interesting example today. So uh, I think some time ago, like six months ago or so, we saw somebody posting on Twitter that as a part of their studies, I think like master thesis or something, this guy implemented PHP on his own on, on Grow VM user Truffle, right? So, and it was quite fascinating to me, right? Because it was like one person, right? A student just casually doing this along with his studies, right? And he implemented PHP on GraalVM. Wow. And it's not necessarily like the most complete or production ready implementation perhaps, but just kind of to give you an idea that it took like one person without previous backgrounds probably in virtual machines and compilers to implement the language on GraalVM, which is pretty wow. fascinating, I think. Yeah. So if we roll back in time mm -hmm. a little while, there was... Uh, there was Jython and JRuby were two yeah. of the big kind of alternative languages from existing the existing language community that were built on top of the JVM. And there was a lot of work that had to go into how you take Python and make it run on the JVM. That's why and Ruby. Jython never got updated. Right. Yeah. It was just too painful. Yeah. And so, so Truffle is really an alternative to that. And, and now you can write Python that runs on the JVM and, and allegedly would perform a lot better. So do they have like Python 3.10 um, translated yet? You mean in Jython or you mean our like Graalvm no, no, Python? No, no, using Truffle. So I do not remember the exact version. I'm going to have to check for that. But anyway, like, it's a fairly recent I, version. I do remember that transition to 3, right? I just don't recall the exact version, so I cannot promise. Yeah, yeah, but it's it, it is quite different from Jython and also like our Ruby implementation is quite different from JRuby, right? So it's they are written from scratch and they're using Truffle and in terms of performance, they show very good results. Yeah. So if somebody has been using, you know, Jython mm -hmm. or JRuby, it's worse to give our implementations a try as well. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Is anybody using JRuby or Jython should probably be going in the GraalVM direction. Oh, well, yeah, because I think Jython got stopped at 2.6, which was, Ouch, yeah. it's been many years since it's been updated because it was just too much trouble. Yeah. So there's this universal VM through Truffle mm -hmm. with lots of different language bindings and... Um, I think that's super exciting. Like, why keep on reinventing the wheel of uh, of all the great things that a VM is doing for you? And mm -hmm. then there's a, a key part of this, which is the the function for uh, foreign function interface stuff, or I don't remember what it's called in the in the um, Graal VM world, but some way to call native code or link link yeah. binaries. Like, like what's that? What's that look like in Graal VM? Because that becomes important when you start, you know, integrating libraries that are going to call native native libraries or something yeah i'm i'm not a compiler engineer myself or do not implement languages myself so i cannot talk about that much yeah unfortunately yeah. i know that we have a way for example to execute native extensions because we also have probably I should have mentioned before we have like an llvm runtime in Graal vm as well right it's called Solong. so okay. we also have the way to execute those uh, native extensions as well Oh, but, uh, does LLVM yeah, yeah. run on, like, do you take the LLVM bytecode and run it on Truffle? Is that how that works? Or? So we do run it on Graal VM, and I think, yeah, it does include the Truffle level as well. 
but yeah, I'm, unfortunately, I can't go into more detail. Yeah, I remember reading. So I haven't ever done it, but it was one of the important points of I remember of of truffle was being able to have a better uh, foreign function interface. And I don't remember all the details. So it that. probably not only has its own byte codes, but it has some way to use LLVM to compile pieces of it down to... So it can execute bit codes, right? So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. But it's I'm guessing the truffle bytecode or intermediate form or whatever it is is not the same as JVM bytecodes. I'm guessing they, they invented something else because otherwise it would have been just as hard to implement uh, Python. Yeah. You know, as Jython, yeah. I mean, there, there is one more concept related to Truffle, right? And that is uh, abstract syntax trees, right? So the way, as I understand, right, the way Truffle executes your program is that those interpreters are looking at abstract syntax trees of your program and execute the, those. So it's so, at a higher level, and that's why it's easier. Well, I mean, your system already puts out an abstract syntax tree. Right, yeah. So it hooks into it at that point yeah. rather than you having to... Go to bytecode. You go to bytecode, which is yeah. a lot. Okay. That yeah, because LLVM is like a universal bytecode. So mm -hmm. so they they don't necessarily need to go to that mm -hmm. universal bytecode. No. Yeah. No, but but I mean what's important is the abstract abstract syntax tree. Yeah. Well, that's what and we were talking it. about with um Runar. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, is is getting down to the AST and then being able to so it turns out that UML wasn't the universal description language. It's the AST that's yeah. the universal description But now language. we need a anyway. we need a universal AST description language. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's what this is. Yeah, yeah maybe that's what this is. Okay. Yeah. So okay. So we've got we've got Truffle and and GraalVM and GraalVM itself is is or has something other than hotspot is that right or something like a different different vm or i don't know tell me how that so, works so yeah so for java right when you execute java in jet we use hotspot as a platform right that is if you're using graal vm to execute java in jet mode now in native image there is a different vm right this is called substrate vm and it's a tiny vm implementation that we put into that final executable that you've built so it can 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 take care of those kind of typical vm tasks for you but in yeah. jet mode it's just the same hotspot vm so in okay it's the same hotspot vm but there's but there's something magical in there because i've seen people do benchmarks or even production rollouts where they switch from using mm -hmm. the standard jdk all that they switch is over to the graal vm JDK, yeah, and all of a sudden their performance is significantly better. I'm glad you said that because just today I reposted like somebody from community reporting how they transition. Okay, okay, so that's where this is where this is coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, what they did, right? I think they've been using OpenJDK, if I remember that tweet correctly, right? And they yeah. transitioned to GraalVM and they saw immediate uh, improvements to latency, right? So there is something, as you're saying, magical indeed, right? And that is the compiler, right? So when you transition to GraalVM, there is a whole new compiler. So instead of C2, you are getting our own Graal compiler, right? 
and it's completely new, written from scratch. So that is where this difference is coming from, right? There are some kind of brand new optimizations in it. So for some workloads, you will see quite a bit of difference when you transition to GraalVM. Like so for it's example, not on I mean, the JVM side, it's 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 actually so on the on the compile side. It's, or it's like the it's compiler, right? Because yeah. compiler is responsible for producing for optimizing your code, right? Producing better machine code, right? So it's basically where those performance differences are coming from, especially if you're looking at things like peak throughput, for example. So I'm sure you you saw this talk at conferences, right? Where people from Twitter would talk about how they transitioned to GraalVM as well, right? And oh, how they saw quite significant, like, I don't know, 30% of something improvements uh, in terms of performance, right? And they are using, I believe, Scala in there. Yeah. But for them, Scala's yeah, Scala. switching to GraalVM just, you know, just huh. for the compiler part, they saw very significant improvements in there. So yeah. if I just switch my runtime JVM over to GraalVM, I may not see significant improvements. Although I think there is even a, a better garbage collector by default in GraalVMs. So in yeah, for or... Java in JIT, we just kind of offer you the default that is in your hotspot VM, right? So things like G1, for example, we do not ship our own GC, right? So okay. where this performance is coming from is actually the compiler. So in okay. terms of whether or You've not you will... compile your application with GraalVM to see any of these. You gotta, yeah, kind of have use Grow VM as a top tier compiler, right? Instead of C two. Okay. So in terms of like whether or not you would see performance improvements, I don't think there is like one answer, right? Because every workload is different, right? So typically, what we recommend, like give it a try, right? Run some part of your application Grow VM, and see if it can give you performance benefits. Because really, there is no one answer that could you know satisfy all the workload and all the you know environment and all this kind of. Uh, requirements of each application. So just kind of give it a try, right? It's a fairly simple transition, as you saw also today in that tweet, right? Yeah. So you might just get performance benefits out of this transition. That's cool. So this project is really kind of just saying, oh, well, how about if we just completely start from scratch in the whole, the whole, <laughs> the whole system from top to bottom <laughs> and take advantage of not having to drag old code with us? Is I that... mean, not, not sure about all system, right? Because, for example, we do have still Hotspot VM as a platform, right? So the things that we okay. re implemented are, you know, the compiler, right? If you're talking about Java JIT, now native image is something rather new, right? And Truffle as framework. But, uh, yeah, not sure that that qualifies if, uh, as re-implementing everything from scratch. Mm. Something lot. was rewritten in Java, though, that used to be like CRC++, wasn't it? There's some piece of GraalVM that was that used to be in the traditional JDK. Uh, so the compiler itself, right? So I cannot kind of say for sure, but I guess it is written in things like C and C++ in Hotspot. Though again, don't quote me on this, but GraalVM was quite interesting, was itself written in Java, right? So we wrote our own compiler in Java. That's cool. That's probably mm. more maintainable, I guess. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um Okay, so so we've got. It's amazing how vast GraalVM is. There's just an umbrella with a whole bunch of things underneath it. And so, back to Bruce's question of what problem is it solving? It's solving a lot of problems, and there's a lot of different ways to. Yeah, exactly, use it. because there are so many things. And I remember when we, when we first started to kind of talking about GraalVM publicly and about all the features and components, it was quite fascinating to see how people are using it, right? Because there were some kind of intended 
use cases that we saw coming. But also since because there are so many components and you can kind of mix and match them, it was quite fascinating to see how people discover, you know, new and new ways of using it because there are, you know, so many things in it. Yeah. Well, and didn't you say one of the issues was the startup time? So that's native image. And we should probably, we could switch gears to talking about negative mm -hmm. native image specifically. So give us the rundown on native image and, and what it does and the magic. Yeah. Yeah, so the magic behind native image, right? So normally the way you would execute your Java program is that it will be dynamically executed on the JVM, right? And it means that you need to have an actual JVM to run your Java program. Now, it is a bit different with native image, right? Because what it does, it would ahead of time kind of analyze and compile your application. So it will look for all the reachable code and only include all the code that is necessary for your program's execution into this final binary. So it will look at your application code and the JDK classes it uses at the libraries, and it will only pack the things that are actually needed in your application, like for your application to execute, and it will compile them into this platform-specific standalone binary, and you don't no longer need a JVM to run it, right? So you can just execute it as is. And that's pretty fascinating, right? Because what you mentioned in startup times, it improves them significantly, right? Because everything is pre-compiled, everything is pre-optimized. And one more thing that we are doing when we are building native image, we also perform heap snapshotting. So you can also start with pre-populated heap. And this way your application starts really fast and there is no this like warm-up curve, right? So it's ready from get-go. And this is basically, as you're saying, the magic that native image does. Yeah, and the... There's a few use cases for this that I think are really interesting and people are beginning to, to use more. Mm -hmm. One is, is serverless. That's in Absolutely. my world where I've been yeah. building my serverless applications that need that with auto scaling, they need to be able to start up instantly. And it is just ridiculously amazing how quick these things start. So in some of the applications that I've created, I've got a container, a Docker container that doesn't even have an operating system in it because I've used static linking in, in Gravium native image. So there's no operating system, just a single file that is the ahead of time compiled JVM application that no longer uses the JVM. And I have uh, in some cases even compressed these binaries using yeah. a tool called UPX. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. my whole container image is like 10 megs for the whole thing to run. It's just, and, and it but starts it's still up going instantly. through Docker. I I wrap that binary in Docker because so that that's it's port, what, that gives you the portability. Okay, but it doesn't have all of the extra like operating system baggage. It doesn't need it. So Docker containers can. Uh, so Docker is simply like a facade over your thing, so it plugs it's in. It's just a, a way to tar GZ your binary okay. file, and mm -hmm. and then Docker conveys the um, platform. Uh, stuff to the virtualization engine or something mm -hmm. okay. so that it knows, okay, this is a AMD 64 Linux binary. Sure. And so then it, I'm guessing, you know, knows how to run virtual, virtually run right. that it thing. Plugs, plugs yeah. everything in the right place. But yeah. with that, because I always thought Docker was the virtual operating system and you're telling me it's possible to leave that out. Uh, yeah, it's a little weird because most of the time Docker containers contain an operating system mm -hmm. in them. Yeah. And but it's not necessary. You That's can the part I didn't you can know. just toss a, a a static binary into a Docker container and as long as you've 
I don't know, statically linked it in the right mm-hmm. way or something, which Gravium native image yeah. can do. It just works and it's amazing. Hmm. People have been doing this with Go for a, for a little while, creating con- containers without any operating system, hmm. but now you can do it with Gravium native image too. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's pretty darn cool. So okay, so serverless is one of the big areas. Sure. Um, I think CLIs are becoming a, a bigger place for this too. Yeah, I wanted to say about that as well, right? Because in CLIs, you kind of also want this thing to kind of start fast, do something fast, right, and kind of be done with it, right? So CLIs are also very good for a uh, very good use case for native image. Yeah. And you can make them small binaries. Like I said, mm-hmm. like mine, my yeah. the servers that I've built are like 10 meg binaries. That's, you know, that's an acceptable CLI size where one of the challenges with, with Java CLIs before was, oh, you need to go download this 100 plus meg JVM and then and then download all these jar files. And, you know, it was just like like way too much for, and, and then of course it wouldn't start up instantly. So that was the other downside. Yeah. And you mentioned serverless, right? But it's also microservices, right? So if you want your microservices start fast and also like in addition to startup, right, there is a bunch of other things, like for example, memory efficiency, right? So it doesn't need that much memory again because it doesn't have all that infrastructure, right? So it doesn't need to load classes, doesn't need to compile things, right? So it's also very memory efficient. So that's another area where we see quite a bit of adoption uh, for native image, both in terms of users and actually frameworks that kind of integrate with native image and use native image as a platform. Yeah. Yeah, and so the, with with native image, there's um, there's no longer like class files and the JVM like in, you know interpreting and all the, the dependencies. Yeah, I mean it's it's it just is. Alina, you tell us more about it, but it it is just taking that whole thing of jar files because you know you, yeah. you start with jar files and turn it into a magic uh, static executable. Yeah, so it does have to be, like, everything has to be known at build time, right? Because in the end, it's just machine code, right? So in the end, it's just a binary, so it doesn't, so it no longer, like, loads classes, right? No longer optimizes code, right? In the end, it's just uh, a binary file. That's why it's so efficient. What if you have uh, dynamic code? What does it do with that? (laughs) Yeah, so there, are, there are like everything has to be known at build time, right? And uh, one of kind of one, I guess, if you want to start using native image, I think one of the easiest way for you to go would be to go through one of those frameworks to already kind of integrate with it because they would do some of that kind of configuration and heavy lifting for you, right? So if you wanted to kind of try native image, let's say tomorrow, I do recommend checking out one of those. Frameworks that work with so native like image. Corcus I think it would be a, yeah, Spring Boot, Micronaut, Halidon, you name it, right? Yeah. But I think it's just like the easiest way to get started with native image and get like a lot of things out of the box and just get you started fast. So what those frameworks have done is they've added tooling that will uh, understand the dynamic code paths essentially, and then GraalVM native image needs to know about those dynamic places reflection or whatever yeah. and so these frameworks have made it automatic to get that information and pass it off to GraalVM native image and GraalVM native image just needs to know where where things go dynamic so that it can follow those code paths so that it ahead of can ahead of time compile all the necessary code paths um, it's it's definitely been one of the challenging parts about doing native image if you're not using one of those frameworks which i've done with scala which we did for our book uh was we we didn't have the support of those frameworks to Mm -hmm. do that and it turns out scala lazy vowels 
uh, use um, Sun Miss Unsafe underneath the covers for some reason. And so that becomes a dynamic uh, part or the way that they call it becomes dynamic. And so, so you have to come up with the, the declaration to native image about the lazy valve parts of Scala. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the, the challenges. And, and luckily, GraalVM native image makes it easy to create this configuration. The, and this is what I actually did for our Booker one that we did this on, was you can run the application on the JVM with a Java agent. Yeah. And the Java agent will keep track of all the dynamic calls and then produce the configuration that GraalVM needs from it. And so you just run your application with the agent and then you get your configuration and then you use that configuration with native image. Yeah, exactly. That's another way to go, right? With this tracing agent, but still, I think like it's somewhat easier to do with one of the frameworks. Oh, if, for sure. If, that, if that's an option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So why wouldn't I, for example, use uh, Kotlin native instead of um, Graal binary? So the nice, wonderful thing about Graal VM native image stuff is that you are just doing a JVM based application. You still have access to the whole JVM ecosystem. Whereas with Kotlin native and and Scala native, you lose the JVM ecosystem, you lose the JVM libraries and you lose. um, One of the things that I really like about native image is that when I'm doing local development, I'm still running on the JVM. Mm-hmm. I do everything on the JVM because I don't want to wait for the ahead of time mm-hmm. compilation right. as part of my local development process. So it's still a JVM based application that then you run through the native image tool to to create your actual ahead of time compiler. But any existing third party libraries in the JVM, you still have access to. Exactly. Those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there has been quite a bit of work happening in the native image component lately. Like, for example, in the latest release, there were so many changes and I saw the community was very happy about them. Like, for example, uh, there has been this request from community to kind of keep working on the image build process, right? Because sometimes it can take a while, right? Especially depending on how big your project is, right? And this is something we've been doing since 21.0, right? And now in 21.3, we had we added even more changes to that. So now those builds are faster, they are using less memory. So we are trying to make this process, trying to make this process uh, faster, but also more like developer friendly. And one more interesting initiative we have in this uh, component is that we are also working on that output that you see when you're building native image, right? Also trying to make it, you know, more informative for you, show more information, maybe in more readable way, right? To give you more information about like what is happening, what are the main classes that end up in your image. So like really try trying to work on that developer experience part of the native image component. Yeah. So because it takes a while to run native image on a JVM application, I just do that in my CI/CD pipeline. I don't ever do mm-hmm. that like as part of any local development or anything. And and just as CI/CD, I, I run native image. And so it's okay if it takes ten minutes. I don't know if any of mine actually take ten minutes, five minutes. But it's okay, okay if it takes five minutes because this is just a step to production in the pipeline, in the delivery pipeline. Um, Quarkus and Spring Boot and maybe Micronaut also have a way to create your native image as part of your CI process, but then actually run your tests against the native image produced binary so that you make sure that what you validated 
in the JV, in JVM mm-hmm. land is going to be able to be validated in native image land. And, and that's a really cool part of ensuring that, that this thing that is running in a different environment than your developers use to build it in is still going to work. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's. It, I think it's super exciting stuff, and I haven't done any of the like Truffle VM uh, or Truffle um, multi-language parts of this yet, and it's something that we should explore with Python and and try to take some of your Python stuff and and. Yeah, see but how you should goes. definitely give it a try, right? Because I can see how native image is very exciting, right? And we see a lot of you know traction and questions about it. But also, I'm personally I'm a big believer in this polyglot aspect of Graal VM as well, right? It might be the first impression that, okay, maybe it's a bit too exotic. Like, why would I need manual languages in my own application, right? I can just stick to one and use whatever, like, tools and libraries I have. And sometimes people say, okay, like, but does anyone even, like, need that polyglot capability? It's just too complex. And uh, I kind of like that question because I do see a lot of those polyglot use cases in the community. Like, for example, there is this one organization who have, like, uh, Java developers, right, who are doing application developer development, and they also have a data, data science team. And those data science people would much rather work with R, right, because that's their primary language and it has all the packages that they want, right? So what they did instead, they kind of adopted Grow VM, and this way they can kind of compromise in the middle here, right? So those application developers can keep working in Java because they know it and they like it and they are productive with it. And these data science engineers can work with R, right? And they can all kind of use the best tool for the job and just kind of meet, meet, meet in between here because Graal VM gives, gives them a platform for that. So what does it look like when the Java programmers want to call into R? Yeah, it, is, it possible. is possible to exchange values between the languages, the yes. FFI, the fun, right, foreign, foreign function. function yeah. yeah, and so they have something for this, okay. and I haven't played with it. So we, have, we, have truffle, we have Truffle API, right? That's one of the things, I believe, right? So it's definitely possible to exchange values between languages, right? Because I guess otherwise it will be just, you know, not so uh, valuable, right? But you, you, can't, you can't pass values back and forth if you're running on GraalVM. Yeah, because this was, I mean, way back when I was on the C++ committee, that's when <laughs> Corba got started. Mm. And Corba was going to do that. It was going to be like, oh, yeah, all languages will be able to call each other. And it got stalled. So yeah. this has been something we've been chasing for a long time. Don't fight about languages. Just call them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wonder if Scala and Kotlin and Clojure were starting today if they would have built on Truffle instead of doing their own bytecode. You mean like the way a lot of things, oh, like Julia is built on LLVM. Right. And I think a lot of other languages do that now too. It's like, well, why would you write your own, you know, you would just use LLVM because that's out there and everybody's supporting it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to ask. uh, It's optimal. the rock guy, why he didn't use, why he didn't build rock on Truffle. Oh, right. That'd be interesting. Because he, he, I think, used LLVM, right? Did he? Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's, I think it's a pretty safe choice. Yeah, yeah. What, what is the, but I mean, you're in like production and people are using um, GraalVM for sure. production work yeah. now, right? Okay. Yeah, sounds good. So, yeah, but like talking about production, like we were talking about native image, right? And I think we, there is one in, very interesting story about using native image in production. So, uh, for example, Alibaba is doing this, right? 
And that was quite interesting to find out, right? Because at their scale, right, it's even more fascinating to be using native image, right? Because they have huge lots. And in the story that they told us, they said that they have been like they moved to native image and shortly after that they had like this huge sales festival where they had very kind of high load on their system right so they actually battle tested like native image basically like the next day right under this huge loads and wow. they were very excited about the results right and i believe they're still using native image right now and also contributing to the project so oh, wow. for them it's yeah it was a, a very good decision to transition to it now it's it it's not all roses and um, unicorns and rainbows or whatever in native image. So one of the trade-offs you make with native image is you get that lower memory usage and faster startup time, but some of the like long uh, running process benefits that you get where from the JVM, where the JIT has like really optimized stuff based on actual execution, you lose some of those. Because like, it like, all has to be done at compile time. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it, it can't optimize things like the JIT does, which is optimizing things at well, runtime. Well, that's dynamic on, optimization. And, I mean, yeah. not exactly, right? Because we no longer have that profiling information available, right, that, that JVM has. But again, there are, there are things that can be done about it, right? Like, for example, there is this thing called profile guide optimizations, right? So if you would collect profiles in advance and give it to uh, us at the build time, we could kind of consider those and build and optimize the binary with those profiles in mind, right? Yeah. So that's still, true. there are kind of workarounds for it as well. Yeah. Huh. That's cool. So the um, and then one of the other challenges I was thinking about was you can't do like a JVM agent, right? In in a native image compiled binary, like it doesn't have the same agent ability that that the jvm does so or... some agents would work i believe right but okay. that will be like you, you would have to check each one and uh, see like probably just kind of give it a try and see whether that works out yeah yeah um overall i i think why not why not go to native image for like most use cases it's it's uh been a pretty pretty uh, sure bet for the people that have gone there so so I wonder if so one of the problems that Python has had forever is the packaging and delivery problem. And so many people have tried to solve this in one way or another. And so this seems like this could be hmm. a solution to that. So, I mean, basically you want to handle, hand the customer an executable that mm -hmm. they don't have to you know, know anything about to understand. They don't, they don't know anything about it. They just want to run it. Yeah. And that has been a problem forever in Python. Yeah. It's, can I take a truffle application and native imageify it? Cause I've only was, ever done it. I was on... exactly like, I was thinking about it as you were like talking about it. Right. So, because that's exactly what I had in mind as well. So what you can do with native image, one more thing is that if you if your host application is a Java application, right? So not Python but Java, and then you call some Python from it, you can compile that to a native image. One thing to keep in mind though is we wouldn't compile Python or JavaScript or whatever ahead of time. We would dynamically execute it in runtime. So you 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 will have your image in the end, right? But those languages will still be dynamically executed. But it's possible sure. to do, yeah. Yeah, but as a packaging scheme, so you're Absolutely. saying that you would, you would, ha you would still have to have some Java runtime. Running. 
in other words, some, some runtime order- for JavaScript or for Python or whatever to make it happen. Yeah. But but I mean, you'd you'd have to have a piece of Java code running in order to be able to call, say, the Python and package yeah, I think, this whole thing. I think you can you could just do Truffle. Okay, directly. you can just do Truffle yeah. standalone. Yeah. So your, oh, your okay. Java would be ahead of time compiled, that. and then there will be like runtime for those dynamic languages, and they will be sure, dynamically yeah. executed. Yeah. Right. We should definitely try this with Python. Oh, yeah. yeah. You should no, give it a try, and then tell me tell me how it worked out. <laughs> yeah. I'll be curious yeah, as well. Just just being able to deliver an executable yeah. without having to worry about all of those things has been something that the, yeah. the Python community has been fighting with for yeah. most of its life, basically. Yeah. Yeah. People keep trying to solve it. Yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting. Well, that's uh, super helpful information on GraalVM. I appreciate that. Um, let's switch gears and talk about, about developer relations and building developer communities, since that's something that you've been doing for many years. Let's go ahead. Yeah, I'm very, very passionate about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are you passionate about about that? I mean, one thing is communities, right? And I recently had that conversation with a friend. So he also is in that role, right? And we were talking about like why I, why we are even doing this, right? And what's in this for us, right? And I said, okay, but I'm a community person, right? This is something very natural for me. And I cannot really explain why or what like it gives me, right? But I just feel like being a part of community is the right thing. And this friend told me that it actually sounds very kind of reasonable and naturally, right? Because we all as human beings, I guess, want to belong somewhere, right? To be a part of something. So it's not a surprise that communities is like one of those groups or tribes that we want to belong to, right? So for me, this is something like very natural. And I remember my times being a community organizer. It was like so much fun. I mean, my team and the community itself, it was a lot of fun. Huh. That's cool. Bringing developers together into a community and building that community, and it's it it's rewarding work. I think it feels feels good to to be part of a community and to grow that community. It took me a long time in organizing my own small conferences mm-hmm. to realize because I always thought, oh, this is about sharing technology which it was, but that wasn't the real reason. The real reason that people would come to these events is because of connection. You know, just that, that connection. And we happen to use the language of technology. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know about this thing, or I don't know about this thing. We can talk about it. But what's really happening is the underlying connections that we want to connect as mm-hmm. humans. And, yes. Yeah. And- but, yeah, that was my observation as well. And actually, well, like one of the one of my favorite things about uh, community was that like we would organize, you know, meetups and conferences and sometimes they were on very different topics and still there were people who would show up to every single thing basically no matter what the topic was. And they said, like, we are just showing up because we like your community and we like the atmosphere here. And we kind of just kind of like hanging out with you and talking and learning about whatever, just because we like this community. Right. So, yeah, that was actually the best part. Right. When people just show up for a community and they, uh, you know, they are open to learning something new because the main value is just connecting with that community. That was mm. amazing. Mm-hmm. How do you build community? Oh, it's such a complicated question i don't even know right there are so many ways to do it i guess there should be some central piece connecting you all together right so 
could be a technology, could be something you are all trying to accomplish as a community, could be, I don't even know, but there should be something. Some shared values in some way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think another thing that is important there and people and that people actually feel is when, uh, when there is like, you know, this core organizing team or whatever, but some people who are passionate about it and have this kind of genuine motivation to do it, right? So they're not doing this for money. They're not doing this because this is their job, right? But just because they believe in it. So I think this kind of attitude, right? And this passion, people always kind of notice it, right? So, and this is something that attracts them, right? When they see that somebody is doing something because they believe in it, right? Not because they are forced to do it or because they promise they will do it or whatever, right? So mm-hmm. I believe you can always tell when you see those great communities, right? That are built by people who actually believe in communities and for whom this is like a real thing and they would do it, you know, no matter what, like this couldn't like necessarily, that, that not that is not necessarily their job, right? They did not necessarily commit to it, but they just like doing it. And this is actually something that draws people, right? When they see that it's like a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the shared passion, um, is it spreads, right. And that, and I guess that's something that helps a community grow is, is by allowing people to bring their passion to something, to a group and, and yeah, people's passion for something spreads, I think, and that, that community. And I think it's also very nice when communities are kind of open and welcoming to new members, right? So everyone, like, sometimes I think it could be kind of scary to join a new community, right? Because you know that there are all those people who have been there for years and now you show up and maybe, like, I don't know what are the rules or whatever or what is the culture in that community, right? And I think that's a very important but also challenging to make sure that your community is welcoming to new members and it's easy for them to join and they will feel like welcomed in that place. So I think that's another uh, thing about being a great community. The Python world has done a really good job of this because they have all kinds of, you know, groups that if you're not, if, if you don't feel like you're ready for one, Mm -hmm. there's, there's others where you go, Oh, I'll bet if I went there, I would be Mm -hmm. welcoming. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Be welcomed. Sure. Hmm. True. Uh, how do you create? How do you create safety? As I think this is kind of related to the welcoming thing. But how do you create safety in communities for people? Uh, I think there are so many ways. Like I think many, like for one thing, many communities have code of conduct, right? So this is kind of more of written, formalized thing, right? But it gives you like the thing that we were saying, right? Sometimes there are those unspoken rules, but how am I supposed to know them, right? When I just join or I'm considering joining, right? But I don't know what that community is like, right? So I think that is one of the things that helps with that. Also, uh, I think like it's maybe more related to a workplace, but I think it apply to communities as well. So once I read the statement that uh, teams or workplaces culture is defined by um, the worst behavior that is tolerated, right? So every single time, everyone in the community or the leaders kind of uh, do not react upon something that can be dangerous to the community. That's a bad sign, right? Because it kind of gi- gives other a signal that it is acceptable here, right? So, and I think that is when people can feel 
less safe or can wonder about like, okay, what is the culture here? Because things like that should not be happening, right? So that's a very tricky part and even more tricky because communities are less formal, right? And technically there is maybe less of leverage and less of ways to handle those things. But I think this is also important, right? So making sure things like that don't happen and everyone in the community feels safe and welcome. Hmm. That's a that's a probably a really good important point on communities is that if if bad behavior goes undealt with, then, yeah. then that is giving you a picture of the culture that is acceptable in a way. Or um, and yeah, so, because I believe like team team culture or community culture, it's 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 not set in stone, right? It's a very flexible thing, right? And it changes every time you observe that something changes, right? So th- something changes one two three times and that's like new normal right so now your team or your community has like this new culture thing so it's constantly changing and i think people are very good and picking up those signs right and observing what is like this community what community is like like at this point of time right so it constantly changes yeah Hmm. is there something at the other end though i mean it's like you say well the worst thing that you tolerate is the culture what about on the other end? The, the best thing. <laughs> the best thing that can happen. Yeah, the yeah. best thing that could happen would also be a yeah. important picture into mm-hmm. the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because maybe maybe you could culturally um, create an environment where creativity is is not allowed or something. Well, by trying to control the worst thing that could happen, you also may limit the best thing that can happen yeah 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 but talking about best things i think what should happen there is all good things should be recognized right and by recognizing that you are kind of sending a signal to the whole group right like this is what is happening you are sending this positive signal to the person who did this like great job great project whatever Mm. so you're recognizing them right but also sharing with others so i think like giving credit and recognizing great contributions is also like probably what you were saying, right? Like, how, what do we do about the best positive, yeah. you know, contributions and actions? One of the coolest things I saw in the scholar community over the last few years was there was, I forget the name of it, but it was like a day of gratitude. And so mm-hmm. everyone in the scholar community was just sharing what they were grateful for in the scholar community. And I was like, what a, what a cool thing to value. And why don't we Sounds do that Sounds amazing. Yeah. Sounds amazing, really. Yeah. And it made me have a lot of respect for for people in the community because they they were they placed value on gratitude mm-hmm. and that was that was really cool that's actually a great initiative right because i think quite often good things go unnoticed right it's just have a part of perception of what is normal and what is okay and almost maybe sometimes people would be just kind of shy right to be to say okay you did this great thing i'm so grateful for this because it's completely change the way I do things, right? So maybe, you know, having this nudge, right? Having this particular day or platform to give this gratitude, it's really a great idea. And I'm sure it had a huge positive impact on the community. Well, especially because of the built-in negativity bias that humans have, you know, pay more attention to the negative Mm -hmm. things because, well, they might eat us. So (laughs) it makes sense in the past, but, um, but that's built in, you know, we, we got that wired in. And so to actually pay attention to say, let's take, let's focus on paying attention to the positive things. Yeah. 
makes a big difference. Put energy into those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. What was your quote on what culture is? It's oh, everything. Uh, culture is everything we punish and reward. Yeah. Interesting. Which is like, I mean, it's just, it's the most succinct one that I've ever heard. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, at least gives you the direction of what it's like, okay, well, we promote these things and we try to, um, you know, not do these other things. Well, it'd be a good useful tool where people in a community should maybe periodically evaluate what have we punished and what have we rewarded? And that will give them a picture of what their culture actually is. And then they can decide if they need to make changes. And, and how much time do we want things. to spend on punishment versus maybe, maybe focus a little more on rewards and a little less time on trying to punish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I'm sure that the the communities you've been a part of are very grateful for your contributions to them, and and um, yeah, yeah. I should I should hope so, right? But also, I think being a community organizer, it's also like a, a challenge to some uh, point, right? Because I don't know what's your experience like, but me and my community, it was it. We had like our daytime jobs, right? And we were community organizers in our free time, mm. and uh, at some point, it became. A bit too much right so probably we did not kind of handle all that that well right probably there are people who can handle it better but at some point we realized that we cannot you know uh, have our daytime jobs uh, be community organizers and be crazy perfectionists as we were right and kind of make it a sustainable thing right so after after years it just no longer worked out for us which is a bit sad and also this is something i sometimes see happening to other communities unfortunately right? People just burn out, right? Because they're yeah. so committed to, that, to their communities that at some point they just cannot, cannot a lot of energy that anymore. Organized communities. Yeah. They can. Well, you know, and when, I mean, like we burn out poor Dick Wall. Yeah. By, I mean, well, he, he burned himself out too because he was such a perfectionist. Yeah. But, um, you know, eventually at some point he just, he was totally exhausted just to have the energy the job posse yeah and uh well and same thing in the scholar community just yeah. got, got burnout on right and community organization there so but i not burn out our community leaders well <laughs> yeah i mean i'd like to train them in the open spaces way of holding events where it's like yeah. you go okay here's the deal you guys do it yeah. and then mm-hmm. it doesn't exhaust the organizer yeah yeah, in, in fact, it becomes relatively easy and delightful. Yeah. But talking yeah. about events, I've been meaning to ask so James. I believe we just returned from DevOps UK, right? Yes. So, which which yeah. is like in-person event, which is you know big these yeah. days. So how how was it? It was wonderful to be back together in person with nerds, and uh, <laughs> it was it was so delightful. But everybody had to show proof of vaccination. Yep. You said, yeah. 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 Um, so it it felt it felt safe uh as far as yeah. i know there was no you know covid cases or anything and um so it was delightful to be back in person with people was I, it your um, first conference since covid started? it was my like second actually, i did okay. uberconf in denver um okay. a couple weeks ago and so yeah it's so wonderful to be to be in person with with the people i care about <laughs> I, I miss it so much. I'm kind of hoping yeah. that maybe like next season, right? Maybe spring, right? It will be, you know, somewhat back to normal and we will be able to go to conferences again and talk to people again because, yeah, I do miss that a lot as well. Yeah. 
Um, maybe, yeah, hopefully I get to see you in person soon. Um, maybe to end, it would be great to hear about your experience as a woman in technology. What's, mm-hmm. what's up been like? Yeah, for, for me, it was rather a smooth journey, I would say, right? So I don't think I ever had any big, you know, challenges or blocks on my road or things like that, or people, you know, uh, rejecting me for jobs and stuff just because uh, I'm a female, right? So for me, it was rather smooth, right? But it's also, I know that, that experience is possible. It's not always a bumpy road. I mean, I mean, but also, I guess it also depends maybe on like where do you work or what culture you come from. Like, for example, in like I live in Ukraine and I work most of my life in Ukraine, right? So, uh, I guess here also to some extent you kind of grow thicker skin, and I guess some things just kind of go unnoticed for you, right? Because just the culture around you is like that, right? But also, I don't think I ever had like major issues in my career, but I do know quite a few women that do. And that's why I strongly believe in those diversity and inclusion programs that luckily many communities and companies and organizations have at this point, right? I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in diversity. And also, I believe that you cannot be what you cannot see, right? For example, I remember like when I was in school, unfortunately, there was no such thing as there are right now when people just would kind of show up to us and talk about their professions and explain what it's like, right? And maybe if it was a thing back then, and also if there were maybe more women kind of showing up and talking about there are jobs in technology back then, maybe I would have made different choices. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I would, right? Mm. But that's why I'm saying that like you cannot be what you cannot see, right? Because without role models, it's really hard to do something, right? It just may seem impossible to you, right? If you've never seen somebody accomplishing like that in front of you, right? So I yeah. do believe that those programs are very necessary and I'm so happy that many communities and companies have them those days. Yeah. That's cool. That's, yeah, inspirational. For my six-year-old daughter, I definitely <laughs> want her to have have technology, women in technology role models that, you know, it's just, it just is normal. And there's a lot of women that she can look up to in that, in that world or in, you know, many other worlds too. It doesn't have to just be technology, but. Yeah. But just kind of, you know, give her all the options, right. And kind of make sure that she sees all those options, right. It's not necessarily that she chooses technology, but that just, just, she grows up with all those choices in mind and she knows that she can make any and be successful in it and there will be a place for her in it if she wants to do so right yeah yeah definitely yeah just yeah making it making it an an available option whereas yeah i mean even that way in my my own experience i look back and i go wow i didn't know i had those choices and i'm not even sure how i would have known yeah but yeah 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 you just didn't know that those were available. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you're you're a six year old girl and all you yeah. ever see is men in technology, then then subconsciously that says that that in some ways women aren't uh, allowed in technology. Yeah, um, but in general, more. even it's it's kind of as, as you're saying, right? So see all those options, right? Like I remember when I was 16, finishing school, right? I did not even realize that you know how many awesome jobs are out there, right? Because no one ever talked to me about them, right? So maybe things like, you know, I don't know, developer relations wasn't really a thing back then, right? But, you know, just kind of, I think we can do more as a society to educate, you know, school kids about all the 
possible options and maybe help them choose a bit better, right? So that they don't have to, you know, just kind of drop five, six years of education and go into some different field because they, because they realize that it's not what really inspires them, right? So I think there is still like a long way to go in that regard. Yeah, it's true. Well, thank you for being part of that and showing that there is a, a way for a better way or an alternative way that there are options for hopefully for, yeah. for the girls that are coming into this world. And yeah, and thank you for the community leadership that you've done and, and all you've given to the technology world. But um, Thank you so much um, for giving me a chance to talk about it. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you, Alina. Thanks.